Well, good morning, everyone. We are so glad you joined us. And live streamers, I'm so glad that you've joined us this morning. There are some things that we're going to invite you to interact with us on, and I'll let you know those as we go along. But just remember, you, you don't get to just sit there um, and take it all in. We're going to ask you to participate with us. Um, this morning, I get to continue the series, Better Together. And the thing is, this is the exciting, thrilling plan that God has for each one of us to become more like Jesus. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about being connected, deeply connected to a faith community. And that's God's plan for changing us and changing others' lives through us. So I got to go on this really fun group called Women's Adventure Group. It's open to any women. And um, every time we go, it's a different crew. We had a crew of 10 this time, and we went to Cape Falcon to hike. As you can see, it was a beautiful day. <laughs> now, what you have to picture is that all, the whole trip over, the rain was coming down as uh, on fast speed windshield wipers. And we were all imagining what the trail was going to look like. And it lived up to its expectations. This is before the hike. And then this next picture, this is us at the top. You might notice the droplets on my glasses, yeah. Um, and I wish we'd taken a picture of, you know, our outfits by then because my rain gear, I had mud from here down. Um, we just had to, at the end of the trail, you had to decide we're gonna just go through the mud. We're not trying to avoid the mud. And it was a great mud challenge. Uh, but this was an incredible opportunity to be together. And then we went to Short Sand Beach and we had, we took a wheelbarrow, took all our supplies down there and roasted hot dogs and made s'mores together. This eclectic group, 10 women, we chose to do this adventure together. And you know what? We learned things about each other. I found out that one woman that I've known for a while here is an identical twin and that her um, twin sister died at 48 of lymphoma. I learned that another woman has three kids and she has a daughter that passed away in 2018, just before COVID hit, of sepsis and um, what that meant for her life and how she found a small group at Evergreen of women and she connected with them and God used that to heal her. That was so awesome. And this, the thing is, all through the day, things were unfolding like that. People sharing their stories. We talked about our marriages. We talked about um, our journey with our kids and whether you had adult kids or whether you had little kids because we had the whole gamut there. So it was just such a, a rich time. It's what we're talking about. You know, there's a lot of things in life that are better together, and, and uh, hiking is one of those. But let's take a poll about some of your favorite better together First of all, your favorite Better Together foods, okay? So I've got them here. And if you're on live stream, you need to post your vote. Okay, so we've got four great things here. And you get to pick between peanut butter and jelly, mac and cheese, bacon and eggs, or bacon plus anything. And then Ben and Jerry's. Okay, so I want to know how many people, show of hands, vote for peanut butter and jelly as your favorite Better Together food. Okay, oh, we always have a few. How about mac and cheese? Okay, yeah, oh, yeah, 8 o'clock service has more than that. Bacon and eggs. Okay, we've got the bacon crew here. That's great. Bacon crew's alive. How about Ben and Jerry's? Yes! 
Yeah. Ben and Jerry's with more fat than you need in a day in one little, you know, pint carton. It's awesome, though. How about round two? Now, I call this the stuff round. I've got three things for you to decide amongst. Okay, let's take a look at them. Socks. Yeah, they don't have to be matching like these, but socks are better together. Um, gloves. Yeah. Or bicycle wheels. Okay, you can use any criteria you want for what makes it the better together. But how many pick socks? Okay, we've got some real practical people in this service. Gloves. How many pick gloves? Okay, how many pick bicycle wheels? Okay, yeah, I pick bicycle wheels because the injury, if you don't have both of them, is a lot bigger than gloves or socks, right? I've had blisters, and I've had blisters on my hands, too, and uh, that wasn't as bad as losing my bike wheel. Okay, so round three, this one is a little bit different. You're not voting. You have a tangible this morning. I'm sorry, online there, I couldn't get some of these, but if you want to just imagine it. Um, everybody has a pair of chopsticks. Chopsticks. How many of you would say, I am an expert at using chopsticks? I, I do this really well. Okay, good to know. That's a children's pastor skill right over there. Yeah, okay, awesome. How many would say, no, I have never gotten the hang of these, will never, and I do not use them? Okay, so we have quite a few that are in that category. Well, if you do use them, you know that they are better together, right? Have you ever tried to eat with one chopstick? Unless you're having sticky rice, they're not real helpful, okay? Because you maybe get a little to glom to it, stick to it. I'm going to ask you to use these. These are for you to take home, and it's our little reminder through this whole series of we are better together. So during this message, periodically, I'm going to say we are, and you're going to raise your chopsticks and say better together. Trust me, it's going to just be so fun. You'll, you'll like this. I know how much some people love that kind of thing. But before we launch into that part of the talk, I want to review God's track record on community that Jared reminded us of last week. First of all, that God expressed himself in community. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Secondly, that creation was done in community, that all three of them showed up for that, including the creation of us, of the human beings, where he said, let us make man in our image. Then, when God saw the first human he had made, he said, hmm, it's not good for a man to be alone. And he reached in and from that one man created another human being calling her woman. And community was important. Jesus, God called out a nation, the nation of Israel. He called a community of many, not an individual to that. Jesus was also a part of community. He was both a, had a habit of the synagogue or the temple, depending on where he's located in his travels. And he picked a small group to be a part of. Peter and the other apostles launched the first church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, on the day of Pentecost. This huge crowd collected from around the known world and came to faith in Christ and formed this initial crowd gathering of Jesus' followers, which began to be called the church. And then our eternal story is also one of community, where you and I, as we, when we say yes to Jesus, we are forever marked as the redeemed. And as the redeemed, we are going to enjoy eternity, living in a new heaven and a new earth, in which we will be loving and acknowledging Jesus, our King, Jesus, the one who gave us that name that will forever mark us as the redeemed. 
That is what our future holds. Our future community is eternal. This faith community, when you're a part of a faith community, it's a part of the eternal. Not just here and now, but off into eternity. Because we are better together. That's right. That's what God has made clear to us. Whenever we gather, be it a crowd of two or whether it's a large group of hundreds, Jesus changes us and he changes others through us. So I want to tell you a story about last week here at Evergreen down in E-Kids. Um, they were letting the kids, they were encouraging the kids to ask God, bring their questions to God, whatever those questions might be. And don't you love it that because we as parents choose to bring our kids to a faith community, they are learning and being encouraged to bring their, their questions, whatever they might be, to God first, not their peers, not somebody else, to, to God first. That's an awesome thing. And I was applauding that as our grandson handed me his little booklet of his uh, questions for God. And here was his list, Jacob's list. When will corona go away? How many of you have asked God that? Yeah. <laughs> Are there jokes in heaven? <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, that's he loves jokes. What is your favorite color? <laughs> Do you like to play ping pong? Can I skateboard in heaven? What is your favorite joke? And lastly, when will Russia stop invading the Ukraine? Okay, so seven years old, his questions for God are all about his world that he's living in, the bigger world that he's living in, but also his little world of loving jokes and, and loving to play ping pong and wondering if God really gets a kick out of that too. I love that. You see, kids don't filter. We filter when we bring things to God. But in another class, one of the students asked this question last week. God, what do you do when you feel depressed and you sometimes, you feel like hurting yourself? Now the leader in that class responded and then afterwards called the parents to talk to them about what their student had asked. And the parents shared that their student had come home and told them about the questions that they had for God, including that one, and said, I think I need to go to counseling. Now, because this student was part of a faith community, because her parents prioritized that faith community for her, because it was a faith community, not a baseball community, not a basketball community, not a gymnastics community, not a football community, not an art community, not a sculpture community. You can just name, not a classic car community. Because their parents prioritized that for kids, because of that, this student felt loved and safe enough to share what she was going through in the form of a question to God. And parents were included and involved in that. And a better story is unfolding for her because we are better together. Yeah. You see, we're better together. That's not just true for one generation. It is true for all of us. We need each other. We help each other in all kinds of ways. I love that author Paul Tripp said it this way, our lives were meant to be community projects. And the community he's referring to is the faith community. We will not be everything that we can be without each other. I mean, we know God's good at this community thing, right? We know he's good at it. But as an evergreen community, we talk about we want to be a place where everybody 
has somebody who knows their story and their name, and they could call at three in the morning. Okay, we say that, we've said that over and over again. So how does that really happen? How does that happen? Well, I want you to follow along as I read what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, a church that was young, a church that had the good, the bad, and the ugly going on in it. In fact, there was a competition going on for who was cooler because of the leader that they were following and who was greater because of the gifts that they had to share with others. And it also had some struggles and some failures going on and some people who wanted to do whatever they wanted and have the church approve of it. So this church has all the ingredients that we have, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly that's happening in our lives. And to those Paul wrote these words, and I'm reading it from the message because I think that Eugene Peterson brought this to alive. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church, every part dependent on the other part. The other parts, the parts we mention and the parts we don't, the parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt. And in the healing, if one part flourishes, every other part enters into that exuberance. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept that you're part of the body does your part mean anything. You're familiar with some of the parts that God has formed in his church, uh, which is his body. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, healers, helpers, organizers, those who pray in tongues. But it's obvious by now, isn't it? that the church is a complete body and not a gigantic, unidimensional part. Think potato, Mr. Potato Head there. It's not all apostle, not all prophet, not all miracle worker, not all healer, not all prayer in tongues, not all interpreter of tongues, and yet some of you keep competing for the so-called important parts. But now I want to lay out a far better way for you, the way of love. So what's it telling us? What Paul's saying here? Followers of Jesus are interdependent with one another, and everyone has a part to contribute, and every part matters. So we were designed for change and growth to happen in community, not as a detached solo person, but instead every one of us dependent on the other parts. Now, I want to just mention, we don't earn our salvation by becoming part of a faith community, but we experience more of who he is and become more like him by being a part of his church. So this picture of uh, the church being his body um, gives me some ideas from children who draw pictures. Because the church, the metaphor of the church being his body is who's the head? Christ is the head, and then we make up the body. And when I think of that, I think of children's drawings of people as they mature, as they progress. I want to suggest to you that we think this way sometimes about Christ's body. Let's start with the two- to three-year-old. Yep, that's right. Sometimes they don't even have two legs. But, I mean, this one's got a few hairs, and that's advanced for two to three. Just want you to know. But there you have it. Big head and some legs. And I want to suggest that when we first get saved, we, look, we think of Christ's body a lot this way. It's us and Jesus, right? We don't really understand much about what the other parts and what else is there and what it's doing. Now, a four-year-old 
might give a bit more detail. We've got some arms going on. We've, I mean, we've even got some ears up there. I think they're placed up there with the hair. But we've got a little bit more detail. Then how about the five-year-old? Only in this case, it's a seven-year-old, Gracie. And boy, she's got eyelashes. She's got the whole nine yards, longer hair. She's got fingers and toes on that body. It's really got more detail. But just like kids drawing people, our understanding of the church as the body of Christ unfolds. But I want to propose that a lot of times we get stuck at the toddler stage. It's all head and maybe a leg or two, but not a lot of awareness or connection with the rest of the parts. We're not experiencing that yet. So how can we get a whole-bodied experience in community as a follower of Jesus? And today, I want to suggest that Jesus shows us how, and it's both messy and wonderful, and it involves four decisions that we can make. It's all very doable. Four decisions that we can make that will, each one of them takes us a little deeper in our connection with one another. But none of them will happen if we don't make this first one that I'm going to mention. So let's say what number one is. Number one, you have to be present with the community. You have to be present with the community. Okay, this is what in my, with my kids I call these da things. Okay, that means it should be obvious to us to be better together, you have to be together. Right? To be better together, you need to be together. So... Uh, there's a book, Screwtape Letters, by C.S. Lewis. I read this as a sophomore in high school the first time, but it, it's a great book. It's about the strategies that the enemy of our soul, the devil himself and his cohorts, his demons, their strategies to separate us from God, to get us to, to step away from a relationship with Jesus, to step away from his church. And in this, the demons talk back and forth to each other about these strategies. Here's a strategy that one demon was commenting on to another. Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for a church that suits him until he becomes a taster or a connoisseur of churches. So last week, uh, actually two weeks ago, Ilsean was sharing, and she was talking about the ice cream tasting she did at the Tillamook Creamery and those papers that she tested with different flavorings on them. And her deciding, I can be an ice cream taster. I mean, this is pretty sweet. Well, I want to suggest to you that some people have become permanent church tasters. They have succumbed to the enemy's ploys, which is this thing of getting you to not drive a deep connection in your community. So if you are present as we gather and as we group, both of those, you will experience deeper community. You will become known. You will get to share your story with others. Not all at once, but I like to uh, liken it to reading a book. Chapter by chapter, we deepen the connection, right, with that plot that's going on, with the details of the characters. That happens in our lives with people if we connect and show up. So 96 people have been gathering for emotionally healthy discipleship groups for the past 10 weeks. And this afternoon, we're going to gather for our last session together. Then we're going to share a meal together. And, you know, we have laughed together. We have cried together. We, and, yes, we have shared our personal struggles with one another. We have looked at our families of origin and done a genogram. We are talking this week about leading out of vulnerability and weakness. We have talked about our stuff together in this eight weeks together. But as we do this, because of this group, 
Now, when we come into the weekend gathering, it becomes a grand encounter with Jesus and a reunion, if you will, a reconnection with others that we've already begun to get to know. Suddenly, the weekend takes on fresh meaning, and now I come expecting to share words of encouragement and support for one another, and it, it becomes deeper. So we are offering another group because we don't often do this, start some new groups. We have some men's groups going on, um, ongoing, but we stopped our women's groups in order to do emotionally healthy discipleship. But for the next two months of uh, May and June, we are doing some new groups that you can look at in the lobby. And I want you to know it's because we're doing a book club, and it's the book by Jenny Allen called Find Your People. And we've chosen this. We have so half the congregation is women, and women don't have any groups right now. So this is a chance for you to, before summer hits in full force, be a part. And there's some in the morning and at night, and you can check it out, out by Info Central in the lobby there. But I want you to know that that's what happens. You know, when I was with the group, um, the women's adventure group, um, I had some brand new people there that I had met for the very first time, and by the end of our time, they were sharing like things like personal health history, those kinds of things, really opening up about their lives, and that's what happens when we spend time together. So, gathering big and small has been the pattern of the church from the beginning, because we are better together, that's right. So, there is be present, and then there's initiate, initiate. Jesus initiated relationships, and he created community with people. You know, he was part of both the big and small gatherings, as I mentioned. But out of those who gathered with him, he chose 12 to be his small group. And he invited them to be with him and to do life with him and to share in his mission. Here's what it says in Mark 3. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So Jesus experienced this, and if you follow the list of the people that he selected, he knowingly selected one that was going to be a betrayer. Because groups and gathering will always be messy. So... Go back 44 years, Jared and I were planting our first church, and we were about a year in, and this new couple that had come, I got a call from her, and she said, we are just, we're struggling to, you know, find our new friends, to have any uh, deep friendships. So I started asking her questions. I said, who have you invited to have coffee with you? Who have you invited to just come up at the house and your kids to play together? Because she had little kids. And it's just a series of questions. And I invited her to start walking with me which she did, and we became walking partners for a long time. Well, fast forward, she took, I said, everybody wants what you want. Everybody wants to be invited. Haven't you wanted to be invited sometimes? Everybody wants the same thing, but you need to initiate. You're a believer. So a lot of the people here at this church plant don't even know Jesus yet. They need you to reach out to them. So... I did that, and she ended up, her and her husband being, you know, the hospitality hostess with the mostest, and they had a lot of people over, and they eventually became our youth leaders as a couple. So fast forward to a few weeks ago, 44 years later, there's nothing new under the sun. Jared and I are having coffee with a couple and they're sharing with us that they wish they had deep friendships at Evergreen, but they don't. 
and they arrived, they acknowledged, during COVID, during the shutdown, literally. Yet, when Jared and I were reviewing our mind, they hadn't been present uh, on a regular basis when we gathered, and they had done no initiation with others. Indeed, the fact that we were at coffee with them was because we had initiated with them. And they had responded to others' initiation, even being invited to play games and to be part of a group um, and, and participating in that. Everybody wants to be initiated too. They want somebody else to do that. Everyone wants the same thing, for someone to come to them and invite them. So do you want to be deeply connected and build friendships as a part of the Evergreen Faith community? Do to others what you would like to have done for you. That'll take some initiation. It'll take doing what Jared said, which is going into your schedule and making room, all of those kinds of things. But I want to encourage you, be an initiator because we are better together. Yeah, that's right. That brings us to the third one, forgive. Oh, boy, Jesus was amazing at this, and he had more, I'd say he had more opportunities to do it even than we do. Um, for the disappointments, the failures, and the hurt that people cause us in our faith community. That's right. We aren't any better than First Corinthian church, I mean, than the church at Corinth. Jesus experienced all of this just like you and I do. He was betrayed from somebody in his own group. He was met with skepticism and criticism. And, I mean, he was not always appreciated. And, in fact, his own family came and tried to force him out of a house where he was doing ministry because they thought he was going nuts. I mean, don't you usually feel like at least you have your family in your corner? Most of us would say that my family's with me. That's, you know, that community will stick with me. But not with Jesus. If we really want amazing community, we have to be persistent forgivers and give lots of grace. I mean, Jesus had some of his closest friends fall asleep on the job when he was off praying over his impending death. You know, I mean, that's the kind of people he picked. That's the kind of community that Jesus lived in. We like to sanitize it and make it like it was this batter of perfection, right? But he was showing us the way forward. Paul's words in Ephesians 4.32 should be the mantra of us in community if we really want to deepen our relationships. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So what happened to you? What's your church wound? What hurts your feelings? You know, Jared and I have been at this pastoral ministry for 44 years and been Christians for longer than that. And I can remember the first time that we had a pastor fail that was on our church team. And it was when we were in college, the church that sent us out. Um, and he was the associate pastor and he was dearly loved. And our pastor and mentor, Roy, got up and had to tell the church that this guy had morally failed, and he'd been having affairs with women in the name of counseling appointments. I mean, that wasn't good, right? We were just in college, and we, we hadn't imagined something like that. We were so disillusioned about that, that somebody who seemed so good and kind and loving could also do something so contrary and take advantage of, of young women. But you know what? We made a decision. We will not let anything separate us from our relationship with Jesus and his church. Not just Jesus, 
but and his church. We have had so many things happen. Just we've had leaders lie to us. We've had leaders say they would do one thing and do the other. We've had people speak, uh, leaders that spoke poorly of us. But you have to forgive. You have to keep moving on. You have to refuse. What the enemy wants to do is drive a wedge right there. And he'll keep pounding at that with his hammer and try to convince you to separate yourself. That's not the, the same as a toxic community where you might need to find a new church then. That's true. But most of the time, through forgiveness, we can keep going. That brings us to number four, serve. In all kinds of ways. And Jesus did this, and his community that he put together did this. They provided practical help for others, including those in their own community. You know, Jesus had a whole group of women that provided financial resource for his community so that they could do what they did, traveling for three years in an itinerant fashion, did take resources. Sometimes Jesus asked them to care for the community or prepare something for what they were about to do. He asked them to go get the donkey that he was going to ride into Jerusalem. He sent them ahead of him and asked them to prepare the Last Supper and the room for the Last Supper. And here he was about to die. There was reciprocity in the relationship. It wasn't just Jesus giving to them. He actually asked them to do some stuff. And he asked them also, he asked them to feed people who had been in what I call long church. Okay, some of you might call this that. But long church, long church is when Jesus would teach all day and people were hanging on his words and they, they didn't even think to go home. They stayed there and Jesus said, we got to feed them. You guys go do that. And we all know what happened. Jesus helped them out with it, but he let them do that. That's a part of this serving that he let happen. You know, Jesus also let them share in his mission. So it wasn't the one-man show. And, I mean, he's Jesus. He deserves a one-man show in my book, right? But he wasn't that way. Instead, he sent them out. He let them heal people. He let them pray for people. He let them cast out demons for those who were oppressed by demons. And they'd come back having this incredible experience of empowerment. All because of community. And I just want to highlight this because this is true for all of us, friends. They talked with, Jesus' community talked with and associated people with people that they would never have met had they not been part of his community. And friends, that'll happen to us. If we go deep in a community, we are going to meet people we never dreamed of meeting. We are going to associate with people that we thought we would never associate with. It's going to be an amazing, it is an amazing experience. We know that this was the response of the early church from the beginning. We know in Acts 2 that all the believers were together and had everything in common, that they sold their property and possessions so they could give to anyone in need. That's one way to serve, right? But Paul reminded the church at Rome of this as well. In Romans 12, 13, he said, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Or to the churches in the region of Galatians, in Galatians 6, 2, he said, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. We're actually fulfilling the law of Christ, which is the law of love, friends. Hebrews 10, 24 said, and let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. But here's the deal. It's not just about doing good deeds. You see, serving was never just about that. Serving is about connecting us. When we serve shoulder to shoulder with other people, that's when the stories come out. That's when we hear amazing things about things they've done and things that they long for and things that they've been hurt by and losses that they've suffered. 
we have so many opportunities to serve and serving connects us to one another and we make new friends. So I want to talk about what some of those opportunities are. I want to mention some of them here. First of all, let's start with the marketplace or the job or the school you attend or the neighborhood that you live in. You know, we had our four grand, our, two of our four grandkids um, for the last four days. Um, and Jacob came home from school so excited on Friday. He came home and told us, guess what? I get to be the buddy to a new boy that's going to come and join our class on Monday. He said, I even get to show him the ropes in the cafeteria. And literally, I'm not exaggerating the excitement that was in his voice. He was like, woohoo, you know, this is what I get to do. And I think that captures the heart of God and also what he wants to do, the connection that he's going to have. He's going to make life better for this kid, but life is going to be better for him because of it. And he was excited to do this. So my question for you is, who has God put with you or by you that you can make life better for this week? Who has he put you with or by that you could make life better for. Well, 50 people served on an all-church work day, cleaning up the grounds. And you know it's never about the tasks, right? Okay, that is really about the people that you hang out with for three hours doing those tasks. And it's about the people that we serve with our grounds. Those soccer teams that you see, the little league baseball teams that play over here, the, the moms and dads that bring their kids to play on this playground all week long, the people who bring their dogs to uh, play catch and do all sorts of games, the people in the community who come to play our ultimate Frisbee game out here, Frisbee golf. That's who it's for. Our serving brings us together, and that's an important part. My mom, at 92 years of age, um, was part of our, um, our Easter preparation for eKids. And she actually prepared 200 packages of surprise for our kids for Easter. Her and several others in the great generation did that together. But you know what happened while they were doing that? They were sharing, they were laughing, they were talking. Beverly was able to talk about her husband who had passed away six weeks before. They were all able to listen to one another and hear more of life together. Serving is all about more than just the task. It's always about the people. It's about the relationships that we make as we're doing it. So a group of volunteers come in every week to do e-kids uh, uh, volunteer for eKids, a whole variety of things to prepare the weekend so that our kids can have a great experience with Jesus each weekend. And our eKids team is comprised of uh, 58 people on any given weekend, but there's also a group that comes in during the week. And they're devoted to creating this powerful encounter with God, but also the kids with each other having this powerful encounter and becoming community together. And they support each other through the tough stuff, and they pray for um, each other, and they share life with each other. That's all part of loving our kids. And Summer Jam is coming. You saw it advertised, and they're going to be asking for more volunteers. And you could be part of that and have deepen the community that you have, the relationships you have with one another. You know, Jared already mentioned our sound, our tech, our worship, our musicians, um, the people who make things work. I want to the Cedars and Greeters and Tom Taylor sitting back there in the back of the room. He leads that connection crew. And I just want to say those people are what helps all of us connect. 
connect with God and connect with each other. But you know what? When, they, when that worship team shows up at 7, I mean, they get to be their best selves at 7 a.m. Not everybody's a morning person. But they come and they share together and they know each other's stories and they know what each other is going through at the time. So it's never just about the task at hand leading us in worship. It's also about the relationship. So I want to encourage you in that, that there are things like that that you can be engaged in. You know, Jesus shapes us through these encounters, and we experience some of the gifts that he wants to give us through the time we serve together in whatever roles those are. And that was just the here roles, because we are better together. That's right. Now I just want to share two more ways, because here, near, and far, um, and we want to talk about the near for just a minute. You heard about our 27 uh, precariously housed seniors. Starting next week, you're going to see 27 poster cards around the auditorium, and there's going to be buckets of pens around them, and you're going to have a chance to write notes of affirmation, to write words of wisdom, words of knowledge, words of encouragement, words of congratulation, things that would spur these kids on to love and to dream and to fulfill the things that they see in their life. It might be just the encouragement that helps them take that next step toward college when they're precariously housed. It is an opportunity, and we send those off to them. Each of them are tied up with a ribbon, and then with that, we present gift cards that the district recommends we um, give uh, to the students. So we want to encourage you, you know, while you're back there writing your affirmations for them, you're going to be standing shoulder to shoulder with some other people. That's an opportunity to find out a name, find out a story. You never can tell where that might lead. So that's our, our near piece. But I want you to think about the far piece. Um, one of the wonderful ways that we deepen our community is to be a part of a GO team. And one of those GO teams, we go to Mexico, Homes of Hope, and build a, hope, a home for people who are living under tarps and cardboard, just makeshift. And a whole team of people goes, including youth. And that'll be happening in October. Every October is when we do it, except, of course, for the stoppage that happened with COVID. So I want you to know that, that that's one of the ways you deepen community. And you go serve together while you're painting, sloshing buckets, and, you know, kids are getting in trouble for getting a little wild with the paint. Um, all of that happens, right? It's messy. But amazing things happen together. For almost 10 years now, we've been part of a community in Chicolte, Guatemala, a village there of about 600, 577 people or so. And uh, this is just one picture of the kids who are in school there. This is just pre-COVID. I've been there twice. Next picture. This is a picture of the small groups. We break the kids into small groups, and we have a three-hour time period with them each day to uh, introduce them to Jesus but do fun things with them as well. And you see, that is um, Roger, um, one of our wonderful um, believers here at Evergreen, and Roger's gone multiple times, and he's going to go again, and multiple generations can do these things together. Next picture, this is me with our sp sponsor girl, um, Magdalena, and a friend of hers, and you know, every time I've gone, I've met with her and her mom and her two sisters. Their dad um, left to go to the United States five years ago and never returned, and so they are on their own there in the village, and um, They've never shared that with me, that they haven't cried um, about what was happening in their lives. 
But, you know, while I'm there, I'm with this team of 10 people, 12 people. It just depends on the, on the group. You're there, and you're hearing stories of people and what's happening. And we'd love to have a couple more people join us the end of August to go on this team because we want to have enough people to listen to the village leaders, to listen to what their dreams are, to listen to the people's stories and needs just like you and I have because we are better together. So four choices that we can make on any given day in any given place that we find ourselves in is to be present, to initiate, to forgive, and to serve. And I can guarantee that if you do those four things, I can promise you that your relationships will be so much deeper. You will know so much more about one another. And yes, it will move past you doing all the initiation. There will be reciprocity. Notice that most of Jesus' reciprocity happened later in his ministry with his disciples. So it happens that way with us. I want to pray with you in just a moment, but I want to tell you that this is my story with the body of Christ. As a 10-year-old girl, Jesus used a group of people to nurture, to guide, to give me opportunities, to help me make it to church, to listen to me, to serve me in areas of need. They were not perfect, but they loved me, and they created a safe space for me to grow in my faith. And all along my community, because of that first taste that they gave me, I have connected to a community of faith. I have recognized that I am being saved just like you. Sozo, saved through and through, spirit, soul, and body. And I want you to know that you are those people. For 13 years, you have been those people for us. And my life has been changed because of you. From the conversations in the lobby to the times of prayer to, to the gatherings out in the community helping with the holidays or going to a rank of fest or going to Guatemala or any number of things. I want to say thank you. Thank you for being the full body of Christ giving me a full-orbed experience. And I want you to know, if that does not describe your experience, if you feel like you don't have a friend here, you don't know anybody, you can start this week. You can start at the end of our time together today. You can initiate with somebody and say, you know, ask them that question, you know, like, what's your name? I'd love to hear your story. Want to have a cup of coffee this week? Let's pray together. Jesus, I say thank you for this community. Thank you, Lord, for connecting us more deeply in relationship with one another and with others here, near, and far. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would take that next step that you have for us. Lord, maybe there's one of those four steps that we've, you know, 
slacked off on. Maybe there's somebody here who's harbored a grudge or an area of unforgiveness that's kept them from really digging into community. Lord, I pray that today, in Jesus' name, they would let that go and just forgive. Refuse to be offended and move on. We thank you for that, Lord. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would take that first initial step out of which all the others flow, which is to be present in community, to make it a priority, to make it a priority for our kids. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for the joy I have of this community and the 13 years of incredible memories that I have and their words that will resound in my ears and across my heart. Because everything we do together, Lord, is eternal and makes a difference for eternity. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.